Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. It's a new year and a new season of Below the Line. And for the fifth year running, we're going to spend the next month talking about the Oscars. Each episode, I'll host a panel of film industry professionals to discuss the nominees and their category of expertise. We're kicking things off with sound, and I've got two returning guests. Steve Morrow, you've been a production sound mixer for more than 30 years, and your credits include La La Land, A Star is Born, and Ford versus Ferrari. You're also, we should note up front, a nominee this year for your work on Maestro. Congratulations, and welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you very much. I, I promise I won't be uh, too biased. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be it'll be a little bit biased but you know just ignore it if you're listening just you know just saying what about you out we do have another guest don sylvester you've been a sound editor for over 30 years with credits including walk the line ford versus ferrari and indiana jones the dial of destiny you're not nominated this year i hope that doesn't end up being a sore point well but you did win an oscar for your work on ford versus ferrari all right, I'll be good. <laughs> he won and time. I lost. I mean, it's the same movie. <laughs> and there's hope for you. The last time sound nominations were split, uh, Don won yeah. and Steve didn't. Sorry. Listeners, okay, we're not going to spend more time on that, but if you want to dig into it, learn more about what these guys are bringing into the discussion, go to imdb.com and search for Below the Line. You can find this episode with a list of guests, and a click will take you straight to these guys' credits. All right, let's get started. First, I'm just going to read off the films, the five nominated for sound in 2023. The Creator, Maestro, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, Oppenheimer, and The Zone of Interest. We're going to discuss them in that order, and spoilers are possible, so consider this awarding. Also, as a side note, we like to recognize our below-the-line compatriots by name, even if it means I'm occasionally mispronouncing some of them. Let's start off with the creator, and the nominated team is Ian Voigt, Eric Adal, Ethan Vanderen, Tom Ozanik, and Dean Zupanik. I made a mess of those, I think. No, Steve's last two were yeah, last two were good. Most most of them were pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, let's dive into it, guys. The creator, how did it sound? I mean, you know, I watched I watched the movie. I'm very excited to see that movie because it just you know the the storyline fascinated me. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's a movie that's, I mean, it sounds incredible. You know I mean? If you think about them making that movie, uh, you know, it's a low budget sci-fi movie, you know, it's a $90 million sci-fi movie that looks like a $200 million movie. Right. So it's not technically low budget, but the, they shot it with, um, you know, with these prosumer cameras that are five grand a piece. And I thought they did a wonderful job in creating a world that doesn't exist you know, with all the uh, AI and the, the robots living their own lives. And for me, I just thought, you know, it just showcased, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough because you can look at it and go, well, a lot of Marvel movies and a lot of star Wars, and they all kind of sound this big grandiose sound, but you know, if you really listen and really paying attention, you can hear all the little, you know, movement of their earpiece, you know, their, their brains, I guess the AI brains. And there's, I think there's a lot of care given in the film to what it, you know, ultimately what it sounded like. Don, you probably have a better idea of what, you know, nitpicky things you did. Well, you know, again, I have to start out by saying, comparing different movies, soundtracks, is like saying, what's your favorite color? This is a category 
that I would compare maybe Mission Impossible and the creator sort of go into the same genre kind of category, guns and machines and things like that. Right. Not Maestro, not Oppenheimer, not Zone Adventure. So to compare these is crazy. It's just, just crazy. But then I've just said it, okay? I've said it. The creator is, um, I think, a great, great example of a, of a great soundtrack. I mean, the great thing about what the creator does, which I like, is, yeah, there's machines and there's guns and there's all kinds of new sounding things that you've never heard before, like, you know, huge tanks and, and robots. Lasers from space. Sure. Yeah. The good stuff. But there's also a lot of quiet and there's the the give and the take, the black and the white, the quiet and the loud. And for me, that really shows a master at work. Somebody that knows you you can't have 100%, 100%. You have to have time to release and time to project. So I, I give it high marks for that, certainly for that. I thought some of the creative sound effects were were really splendid. I mean, just great. Just they tickle, they tickle your ears. I'm not always that uh, impressed with sort of the kind of movies that this is, uh, you know, because as you say, there's a Marvel sort of a template that people do a lot of, and um, and that's great. That's good, and it takes a lot of talent. I'm not, I'm not denying that. But when they have the ability to give and take, like this one does, I, I just really appreciate it. And the care given to the detail. I mean, there's all, this is not just sound effects either. In the dialogue, there's all kinds of voices, all kinds of futzing going on. There's all kinds of radio signals and, you know, transistor radios and speakers and things like that. And I just think it's really great. So on, on both both sides of the board, I think they did a great job. Absolutely. Period. <laughs> <laughs> end of sentence so yeah for something completely different next up is maestro and the nominated team is as earlier mentioned our own steve morrow richard king jason ruder and two gentlemen from before tom ozanic and dean zupanzik i didn't see it was it was i supposed to watch this I thought it was, uh... unbelievable unbelievable i thought it was just a given <laughs> So I didn't. I, I will send you the record. You can just listen to it if you want. <laughs> okay, okay, I saw it, and um, man, what an accomplishment! Gee, what an accomplishment! The thing is that I don't know, Steve. You should talk about this. But the thing is, the way you recorded that music was just out of this world. What what a demand! How many yeah. times have you? You don't ever do an orchestra, do you? I've never, you know, before this movie, I've never done an orchestra. It was, it was the conversation from Bradley was after Star is Born, which we did um, all the vocals live, a little bit of the music, but mostly all the vocals live. He said, let's step it up a notch. Let's do Leonard Bernstein. All, anything you see on camera is going to be live. I love the sound. I love the way it feels, feels natural. Let's just do it that way. And uh, Jason Ruder and I, who had done also A Star is Born, kind of went, holy shit, he wants to do the orchestra live. How are we going to do that? You know, and that was, uh, you know, a three-year in the making process of just trying to figure out what the best way to do it, you know, while filming. Because it's not like filming is ultra quiet. You know, there's there's people moving, there's dollies, there's cameras. 
Um, so yeah, so we attacked it, and and pretty much everything you see on on camera that is live sung or live played, we recorded it um, to give that feel. So how many microphones, how many rigs did you have, and how many mics did you have? Well, so for Ely Cathedral, which is the big orchestrated yeah. piece, that was 61 microphones. And it was my rig recording it, but we also had two Pro Tools systems next to me as well. That was, you know, one was my Pro Tools system, one was Jason's, more or less just as, as backups, just to be able to have it um, guaranteed. Because, you know, if we messed up a recording, then that was a disaster. And also, um, you know, originally, I, and I have to be, you know, clear that Netflix basically said, okay, you're going to blow your entire music budget while shooting the movie. There's no money left for post music wise. So if you don't get it, then that's it. And they had somebody with a stopwatch behind us for every time we'd hit record until we cut. So that they knew how, mu how much they're paying the orchestra to play every time. And, um, you know, the London symphony orchestra had, you know, limits on how long they could play together because the new, you know, the new way orchestras are playing, they've their shields around them to protect their hearing and there's space between them to protect their hearing. And back in the seventies and eighties, they didn't do that. They just crammed them all together. So we crammed them all together. Um, so everybody had a little sound sensor under their seat. It was a whole thing, but we were able to, we were able to get it faster. I think than the LSO was expecting. I think they thought, Oh, they're going to be playing for 10 hours straight for two days in a row where in reality, we never really shot that way ever on that movie. We would shoot, I think we shot the first day, maybe an hour, hour's worth. And the second day it was two takes and that was it. So, um, yeah, no, the movie was, was tough. You know, it was a, it was a hard, <laughs> it was a hard movie, but we uh, kind of went into it going, okay, well, you know, there's no option in failing. So let's just cover it the best we can. And then let's make sure that the audience feels like they're in the middle of that orchestra. Yeah. The interesting thing is there's a there's a lot of people that have the opinion that production sound, uh, post sound are are different. Um, and they think that, uh, well, none of this stuff is going to stay. We're just going to fix it and post as the saying goes. Right. And then there's other people that also say, well, and, and the music, you know, that's not sound. That's music. Right. And this really laughs in the face of those distinctions because it's really everything at once. It's like sound music, talking, sound effects. It's all now. Yeah. It's all live. It's all here. And to say that, I mean, it reminds me of kind of a, a film shot in the 40s where they weren't going to do any post. They're just going to hang a microphone and let's get what we can get. And, you know, if you walk off mic, yeah, no one's going to fix that. So, um, to me, this is like old school. You know, very old school. It's definitely, it's definitely. A, we we approached it in that way. It's like, okay, we're going to record everything because you know you, you hate doing ADR six months later. It's just never, never the same. But to also make it, you know, we're going to do it in an Altman esque way where we're going to mic everybody. You know, there's going to be there's going to be twenty five radio mics on people in parties when there's only five actors and the rest of them are background people but we're going to put mics everywhere and then just let everybody talk in the party and and um uh put, you know everybody editorial and post will throw those voices in the different speakers around the theater to make you feel like you're in the middle of that party but that's also you know 
that takes a strong, you know, director going, yeah, we can do that. Let's do that. Let's try it. You know, if we fail, we fail, but let's try it because I think that that's going to be really interesting and a, and a really interesting way to, to hear the movie. So we were, we were given a quite a bit of latitude and we were, we were checking it along the way, you know, with editorial, but, but uh, yeah, we had, we had a lot of fun just kind of throwing it out there and, and, um, and, you know, our first day of filming was almost the last scene of the movie where he's conducting the student orchestra. And that's what that was the first day that we did live orchestra start and stop. And, you know, that was the day that we also got to ask slash teach the camera department, hey, you can't just move orchestra seats out of the way and put a dolly track in. You kind of <laughs> have to put the camera, you know, 15 feet further back and put it on the jib arm if you want to go over the orchestra because the orchestra has to stay where they are or else we have to move these mics. Oh, well, let's move the mics. Okay, well, that'll be two and a half hours. So everybody out. Oh, wait, no, no, we'll just move the dolly back. You know, so then that was the first day. And then we all, but we've worked together before, the, the cinematography and I. And uh, so it was nice. It was a nice matching, nice pairing. Well, it's probably good to start with the student orchestra before the Philharmonic being the first day. Yeah. Well, so yeah. Well, oh, working sure. out some of the uh, coordination books. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I, um, I'm not going to predict the winner here, um, but you should get an award for this at, at least. Thank you. If it's not the winner, it should get like an award too. Um, <laughs> because what what was done, uh, people, I don't think people really appreciate it. I mean, they don't, they don't deconstruct it to see how it was uh, put together. They, yeah. it, it doesn't look like a different thing to people when they see the final movie. But to know that it's all real and live to me is like, that's the secret sauce. It's amazing. Yeah. I think I've, we've gotten a lot, I've gotten a lot more comments on this movie than previous nominations. And I think that people, it, it is hard for them to describe what they're feeling, but they're, they're stating like, I, this just hit me in some way that I've never been hit before. And what is that? You know, and that's what we're explaining to people. But I, and I think that there is an appreciation. I don't think they know the nuances, but that's okay. You know, that's not part of the, that's part of the magic, you know, just enjoy and be enveloped. That's the goal. But Steven, it seems you're making the case that not just, not just the case on how the music came into the film, but also that affects the performances and that affects a lot of the other things that are getting attention in the film because it was done live rather than sort of constructed. Yeah, I think when you can get out of the way of acting, you know, like when you're in a situation where you have actors overlapping, you know, and traditionally, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, you'd say, okay, just don't overlap each other on your coverage. We'll do it in the editing room. And that way we have it nice and clean. I think that the actors are like, ah, okay, that hurts, you know, whereas this, we're just, let's just, let's just record it in a way that you don't have to do that. Just have a conversation any way you want and we'll record it. And if you want all these extras talking because you want it to feel more like a party, speak up over the, the noise, let's do it. You know, let's just do that. But you have to speak up over the noise. And if there's a technical issue, I'll let you know. Otherwise, just, you know, we'll, we'll, the crew will get out of your way and then the acting can come through and the, the story can come through. Now you probably have ruined those extras for everybody else. I mean, I can't imagine. Oh, I've ruined every set, yeah. and All those right. extras are just talking like, "Well, we got to talk on Maestro." What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> All my work, years of training on yeah. extras, not talking, and you just undid it in one movie, Steve. Yeah. Oh, I did have a. I did do a movie a few years ago as a basketball movie, and we did the same thing. We mic'd every single player, every single coach, every single you know ref, 
and then we put a surround mic in the in the crowd and um you know a couple different around the the stadium and i said just play the game and the, and the ad is like well no no we'll have them all mine <laughs> i was like no no no, just have them go crazy if there's a good shot they should you know he's like really i said oh yeah yeah go for it and it worked it worked wonderfully but yeah i ruined that ad he was like oh i don't know what to do anymore <laughs> all right well we will uh see what comes of it um steve thanks for the insights on all that yeah, sorry for all the bias uh talk all right moving on it's, uh, <laughs> side of it that uh, we wouldn't have known otherwise i appreciate your yeah the third movie on our list is mission impossible dead reckoning part one the nominated team is chris monroe james h mather chris burden and mark taylor I mean, what a movie, right? I mean, that is action-packed. They have some big sequences. I mean, I, I you know, the train, we, we did a um, sound um, bake-off for the Academy, and they played this train scene where the train goes off the tracks and he's jumping from car to car to car. And it's just an impactful, like, straight, you know, 15 minutes of action and sound and drama and dramatic noise. I mean, it's just, you know, it's packed full of that really fun energy. Cause when you have Tom Cruise doing his stunts and everybody's bouncing around, I mean, it's, you know, I sit there and I'm watching, him, I'm like, how'd they do it? You know, how did they make this feel that tense? But you do it through a lot of, you know, a lot of sound effects and a lot of detail to what's about to happen to these train cars. And I think you do that throughout the whole movie. You know, the, the dialogue, Chris Monroe did a great job recording the dialogue. It's a beautiful sounding movie. And there's, and I know there's tons of stunt work and stunt cars and yeah. I mean, you, you know, it's a movie you get lost in just watching it and having fun. Well, I think didn't mission impossible. No. What, what won last year it was the Tom Cruise production, right? That won last year for sound. I don't remember. Oh, uh, Top Gun right top gun okay all right my point being i've worked with tom he's really 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 critical of good sound and it shows um this is an example of another tom cruise production tom cruise jam as we say and uh i think he did a great job i think that everybody associated with, with did a, a really really sterling job uh again it's one of those kind of movies that you expect to have action and thrills and things like that but when it draws you in this way you know it's been done really well because it mm -hmm. does it, it it's very compelling i mean you know tom's gonna make it but really come on now that train is falling <laughs> and each car falls and he's got to you know survive each disaster and um and this is though this is an all-purpose sound job so what i mean by that is um where you well, it's no maestro you know but <laughs> where you have uh, you have dialogue that needs to be replaced because of the stunts involved and the fact that maybe there's a lot of competing sounds that you don't want and you have to go through and add sounds and add dialogue so this is an all-purpose sound job meaning that everything uh, is up for grabs and so you just do the best possible version of everything and that's why it's it's a great it's a great job because they did do the best possible everything and so you know high marks again yeah huh i said and it sounds good you, you know even with everything replaced or or fixed and adjusted it, yeah but you, it's not you don't it doesn't 
doesn't reveal itself to you. Right. It's it's very well crafted and uh and it deserves to be in this list. It's really good. Yep. Well, the fourth film on our list. Did you want to say something else, Don? Before period. No, I just wanted to make period. sure. It was full <laughs> period. <laughs> my, that's my cue. The fourth <laughs> film on our list is Oppenheimer. Nominated team is Willie Burton, Richard King, Gary A. Rizzo, and Kevin O'Connell. Ah, uh, the Oppenheimer, the bomb movie. No. Um, yeah, I mean it's a. You know the the parts that I wonder with, and I would love to talk to Willie about it is how often did they use those IMAX cameras for dialogue and for close-ups? because those things are noisy rock grinders. Yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, there's no usable sound once those cameras are going, unless they're deep in the background for big Vista shots and things, but I couldn't tell watching the movie. You know, I, I watched it specifically looking going, wow, that, you know, it's a beautiful frame looks beautiful. Do I hear the camera? Do I hear, you know, what's the, What's the trickery here? Don, you might know a little bit better fixing or, you know, at least adjusting for camera noise. I know that that's always a problem. And I know that the IMAX cameras are notorious. And I know that a lot of times um, we actually have to apply these new uh, tools, which weren't available just a few years ago. And uh, it is like anything else. I mean, there's you go to a, a beach and there's waves that are completely, you know, removing, just masking all clarity because the waves are there. And, and same with wind and, you know, and cameras and dollies and all this kind of stuff. But I know um, I recently did a film where um, it sounded like it was recorded in an electronic storm, but <laughs> we we eliminated it all, absolutely all of it. So I can't tell if it's been treated in the ends and in the end result, I can't tell, and that's that's the key to it. Because if you could tell, they would distract from you. But right. for all I know, they just wiped out the camera noise. It's very possible. Yeah, yeah. I thought the use of sound was good in the movie. I mean, they have you know, just after they drop that, you know, the the first bomb, and he's given that rally speech. I think they used it very effectively to put you inside of his mind and. Yeah, I mean, the, the silences are very silent, you know, which is a very powerful, I think, you know, if you use it too much, it's too much, but I think they used it the bright amount where it's just dead silent, you know, it gives you that uneasy feeling. Yeah, well, I think this is probably the best thing the director has done, Chris Nolan. Um, I think it's probably his most accessible film. I think, I think the performances are really, really great. I think a couple of people in those films are, in that film are going to be uh, winning something. I'm not sure what, but they're going to be winning something. And uh, it's um, it's just enough razzle-dazzle to get you get you excited. I mean, the, the theater doesn't explode. It, it could. I was I was worried that when the when the big bomb went off that all the seats were going to blow away. Um, <laughs> but, you know, don't put it past them, but you know it would seem to be under control, and it would seem to be um, just right. Just, just it leave you wanting a little more. Yeah, it just was very tastefully done, and I was very impressed with the whole the whole thing. The dialogue, crystal clear, sound effects that Richard did, it tickled your ears. Yeah, and, 
And then we were all waiting for the big bomb and that did not disappoint. I think it was very, very, I think what was more interesting is that you could have gone bombastic with this whole thing. It, it's an emotional topic uh, and, and they didn't, they didn't, they didn't go down that road. They went, they went with the character of the people involved with it and, and their personalities. And that I think made it a much better option, a better film. Yeah, I mean, I was happy that, you know, because a lot of the Christopher Nolan movies have gotten, you know, trashed over the years for one scene or another where, you know, the cornfield, you can't hear the dialogue because the truck is driving through the cornfield or the, you know, or, or whatever it is, you know, Christopher always tries to, it feels like he always tries to push where sound can and can't go and, you know, whether it succeeds or fails. But this this one was, I thought, like Don said, one of the, you know, the dialogue was crystal clear. You know, everything was, I mean, it was the right amount of everything. And I think that that was a, a you know, huge success on that, on that post team. You know, Richard King also. Yeah. And I, and I think it's a huge, yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah. Good. That guy, he's got a future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I just think it's also uh, the director uh, himself has, I think, he may have had to have done all these other films to make this film because this film, shows a sort of restraint i think that you don't have to prove anything it's it's really uh, a slow burn in some places and it really uh to me is the best thing he's ever done yeah well said period <laughs> <laughs> and the fifth nominee is the zone of interest and the sound team is tarn willers and johnny Byrne. What a family film, huh? Just a summer afternoon in Germany. What year did that take place? 43. Oh, shoot. Well, that, we have problems. No, that movie, um, that's a that's a story of two two different worlds. One told, you know, through the, the lens and the camera about a family, and then the other told through sound, creating this horrific, you know, Auschwitz on the other side of the garden wall. I mean, it's just... It is not an easy watch. <laughs> it is just, it's it's a bit of torture to watch it. I mean, it's because it's fantastic and they did a great job. But boy, it is not a um, happy-go-lucky movie. But but I will say that the what they were able to create, and I, I was able to talk to the to you know to the effects editor a couple weeks ago, and you know they got a lot of the pain and torment and anguish outside of emergency rooms, you know, in areas, you know, as people are coming in and screaming and in pain. And I mean, that just must've been one hell of a, of a emotional job to have to put together, you know, something that would definitely not, you probably don't come home in a great mood for months at a time. I think this movie um, is a textbook example of how sound um, is essential in the telling of a, of a story. Um, what's very, very interesting is that if you see, we start out in the beginning in the movie and it's in black for the lo longest time. There's no sound. And it's almost like it's saying to the audience, settle down, settle down, just relax. Get your hearing right. Right, work. Yep. Get you warm up your ears because we're gonna. And it slowly brings in this very disturbing music. I mean, talk about 
screaming instruments. I mean, these things are very, very disturbing. And that is very hard to take. And it's all in black. Your eyes are, it's like, don't listen, don't look, listen. And then it cuts to idyllic, beautiful countryside with birds and a happy family taking a swim in a summer afternoon. It's so happy and peaceful. All is forgiven. And you don't hear anything resembling what's going on across the fence for about 10 minutes. The first gunshot is 10 minutes later. And it's one single gunshot. And by that time, you're going like, wait a minute. You just told me everything is going to be okay. And it's that's that's subliminally disturbing. But then they move on. And then they, they do that to you through the whole film. It's It's amazing how sound can tell you multiple things at the same time. And you're watching something and your eyes aren't seeing it, but you're, you're, you're hearing it. And then you're wondering, why am I hearing this? What, what's going on? It takes, it takes the, the viewer and the listener a little while to really understand that the, this is what you're seeing is not real. None of what you see is real. And this is kind of the rare film where seeing is not believing sound is more important. I did a film early, early in my uh, work history where it was an apartment in New York and I had the streets of New York and everything, all these people talking in New York and sirens and cars and, and, and the mixer turned around and he goes like, who did this off screen miniseries? <laughs> and he said like, I don't want to hear this. I'm in the, I'm in this apartment. I don't want to hear what's going on outside. Just it's off screen. I don't I don't need that. And I thought, oh wow, I got that completely wrong. <laughs> so we reduced it all. <laughs> Here is this, the exact opposite. I wish I had had this chance. What's off screen is is the story. Yes. And um, the less you see and the more you hear, the more impactful it is. And it, it's clearly a masterful. You know, they did this film kind of like what you did they had eight eight setups eight booms or something uh and they told the actors just act and they would you know don't play to the camera and they walk off mic all the time and they're, yeah. they're they're completely away from any of the cameras and the mics and that they're just over there and you have to listen you have to you have to work to hear what they're saying and you realize that what they're saying <laughs> is not what's going on um, it's just it's just part of the way that the story is being revealed to you. My jaw dropped when they were at the, you know, the salesman was at the, you know, dinner table with the, you know, the commander, and they're just talking about this machine and what the capacity is, the throughput per hour, and you're just sitting there and you're like, oh, I can't believe what they're talking about, you know, are the horrific, you know, ovens and well, chambers. And yeah, how about the kid playing with teeth? Yeah, kid playing with teeth. Like they're swimming in the lake when the ash is coming down. I mean, it's just like yeah. the like, whole thing is just yeah. It's it's heart wrenching and brutal, and and they do such a job to show you this, you know, family in this beautiful house and garden, and then the horrificness that is behind all of it. Yeah, and here's an example of a film that's that's polar opposite to say the genre that Mission Impossible was in. 
where everything is crafted to be the best sound possible. This is not crafted to be the best sound possible. This is sort of lulls you into a sense of reality and makes you work to sort of pay attention to what's going on. And you're constantly being bombarded by the background, constantly being reminded that when this woman tries on her, her new fur and it's got somebody's lipstick in the pocket, that's not her coat. Yeah. So, and your imagination just runs wild. It's like, oh, they, here we go. You know, everybody gets yeah. to pick your own new outfit. It's like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What? Let, let me ask you this, Don. What was, what is your understanding of when they go into like infrared, that black and white infrared, and the girls putting out apples? And I, I didn't understand that part. I didn't either. But I was wondering if it, it, it sort of happened when he was reading fairy tales okay. or stories to the kids. So I was thinking that maybe that's a fairy tale. Um, that you know it, that's how the girl is being viewed by some other force maybe it's the occupiers that a girl that goes around putting apples in ditches for the workers and mushrooms or whatever that was she had the second time around maybe that's just futile it's useless i don't know i wish someone would yeah. tell me yeah that was the only part that i was a little bit lost in but i was hoping that it was just me because sometimes i get lost easy Oh, I'm lost. I'm lost right now. I had read that that girl is one of the household servants who I'm not exactly sure either. I was a little lost. Yeah, was she giving out food to the people on the other side of the wall? Yeah. Or? No, okay. she's leaving it for where the prisoners are on work details so that they can find uh -huh. it when they come in the morning. It's sort of a gotcha. undercurrent of what's going on. But why it was done that way. I didn't see this film when it was um when I had screener access and then uh it didn't get nominated for the DGA and they took it away. So I ended up seeing it in the theater and there were not very many people in the theater. And so the sound was clear, although there's that moment where you're sort of like, is Mission Impossible playing next door? Like you're hearing that sort of sound and then you're like, wait a minute. No, that's that's the noise for this film. But I wonder now, we've, we've said in past years that both of you have fantastic sound systems at home as well. Do you think this is a movie that will lose something in the screen though if people don't have the sound that... I don't know, the theatrical sound, or that's obviously such a huge part of this story. I mean, I think all these movies lose something when you watch it at home. I mean, that's just kind of a, a given, but yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, this movie's particularly, I, you know, if you have a decent enough sound system, I think, I think it still will be chilling. And I think it still does the effect of two different stories being told at the same time. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough, well, yeah, yeah. go ahead. No, I just think that the the, the the ritual we had to go through in the beginning of it to get accustomed to the, the soundtrack, I think was there because it it trains you to start listening. And um, I think that that, that routine that you have to go through and that you eventually accomplish by getting in to the very first idyllic countryside scene with birds and happiness, I think that serves a very real purpose of just indoctrinating you to start using your ears. And I think that, uh, you know, I don't think there's going to be a, a anybody talking through this film. I don't think anybody will. No, I don't think so either. Turn yeah. around and goes like, well, that's a nice dress. Do you think she's got a nice dress? <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to do that's that. That's a real fur coat. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's an example of a film that has information rather than stuff that tickles your ears. It doesn't really, it's not this cute, you know, monsters or anything like that it's just it's just stuff that 
gets into your head. And I will say, talking to the sound effects editor, he did he did mention that he had a very dark six months of life making this movie. You know, like it it takes a toll on you. I think any, I think we all put in our you know our best and our you know we put our our all into it. And so, depending on the subject matter, it's it can just it can rub you even harder each time. So. Are you talking about Indiana Jones again? Yeah, yeah. So the uh, <laughs> I thought so. The dialogue of destiny. All right, <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, maybe that's where we dovetail. Uh, so, what other twenty twenty three films did not make this list? But you want to call out achievement for sale? Uh, oh, that's a that's a good one. Uh, yeah, um, Color purple. I mean, but I also did that one, so I don't know. That's uh... <laughs> See, I have to look at the list. Let's see. I mean, flower flowers of the uh, killers. Oh, of the sure, it's beautiful. Sure. You know, and that what struck me about that one was um, usually in movies at the very end they have a, a the end credits, a crawl, and they have the theme song. You know, they did have this song which uh, has been nominated as best song from Flowers of the Killers of the Flower Moon, but they 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 ducked out of it. And the last five minutes is rain and thunder. And I it's a sound man's dream to have the movie run out with your sound effects playing it. And it just gave an entirely different feel to everything. And I, I thought that was really impressive. And I was hoping it would, you know, get noticed, but it didn't, you know, too bad. I also thought Barbie was pretty darn good. I like Barbie. I thought they did a lot of interesting sound, you know, Eileen. Yeah. Yeah. She did a great job. The, uh, what was the other one? The, uh, the killer, you know, that was almost the yeah. voiceover, but there, there were some interesting moments of, I mean, there were some big fight sequences, big moments of, of, um, sound that was just popping in and out. And it, it was an interesting mix for sure. Like everything wasn't just blended and smooth. It was like sharp cuts on picture. You guys also had Ferrari on the short list, and I'm curious with your guys' background, having done the Ford versus Ferrari and a lot of auto racing work, actually, what you, how you thought they did with theirs. <laughs> well, you know, they had they had the same issue that we had, which was we had to get these these classic cars and record them. So that was that's a, I know that challenge, uh, but they seem to have found them, so that's good. Um, I don't know. Oh very much like my movie so uh, in many ways in some ways in one way it was a ferrari um, <laughs> they just needed some ford in there that's the problem <laughs> they, they, they forgot i thought i thought i thought poor things sounded great i also thought uh uh perfect days was overlooked anybody see perfect days i haven't seen perfect days which one i recommend it it's really yeah. really it's really calming it's very very thoughtful Huh. I'll check that out. Vin Mendes was hired to go do a uh, photo essay on Japanese public bathrooms. And he said, this is not a photo essay. This is a film. And they wrote a film about huh. a guy who's a bathroom attendant. It's really great. And it's very calming. Oh, that's cool. Guys, uh, on that note, we'll call it a wrap. Great having you here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for inviting me. Listeners, I always appreciate your feedback. You can find my contact info on our website, blowthelineoneword.biz. That's B-I-Z. 
If you're interested in the Oscars, subscribe to the podcast. We've got at least 10 more episodes of Oscar coverage in the queue. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music and John Juan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. To all of our listeners, I appreciate you. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. Thanks again from Below the Line. Nailed it.